Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So, in the end, does it really make a difference what anyone does? I have seen the affliction God has laid on the endeavors of the human race as a curse for their sin, but he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Elise. You'll, you'll have to tell us if there's as much joy leading us in worship as the middle schoolers. I, I doubt it. But it's your time to do it with us, so I'm glad, because we want to think about time today. You know, the Bible opens up by telling us that God brought time, everything, but including time into being. You know, when you read Genesis chapter 1, you're told that before there was ever a morning or evening to mark the times, that God already was, which says to us that God is not bound by time, that everything that happens in time is something he has brought into being. But you and I, uh, we're bound by time. In fact, the older I get, the more it feels like time flies. Anybody agree with me? It reminds me of this Dr. Seuss poem. Uh, How did it get so late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? The longer I live, the more I agree with Dr. Seuss. <laughs> But I'll tell you, I remember back to, to when I was a kid, and sometimes it just felt like time was just dragging by. Remember when it was dinner time? Is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? 
Remember any of the longer trips you may have taken with your family? Are we there yet? Uh, do you remember even uh, Christmas Eve? When is it ever, ever going to come? So I was thinking about this, talking with Jeremy Rose about it, and he reminded me of this really great advertisement with Cookie Monster waiting for the cookies to get baked. I just decided I'd show it to you today, so, so watch it. Oh! Hey Siri, set timer for 14 minutes. Okay, 14 minutes and counting. Waiting for cookies. Hey Siri, play me waiting playlist. Thank you. If I could say time in a bottle, the first thing that I'd like to do Need so hungry for cookie is to till eternity passes away just to spend them with you. Hey Siri, check the timer. Here's the timer. Oh. If words could make wishes come true. Have you ever felt like that? I'm told that sometimes people feel like that in the middle of a sermon. I hope not today. <laughs> We're going to talk about time today, and actually we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, the text that LSE read so well for us. Uh, it's probably the best-known part of the entire book of Ecclesiastes as we go through it. I think it's also maybe the least understood part. So you've got to really stick with me this morning. Um, it really is simple. The way that Solomon put it together, I think, is so profoundly simple. It just kind of flows like this. It starts with this uh, statement about time. It's a fact about time that God gives us that's in verse 1. It sets the stage for everything. Uh, then number 2, there's this poem that he gives us in verses 2 through 8 in which he describes what it's like to live life in the midst of time. I mean, you'll relate to this as I, I get to it. And then, third, he takes some time to explain to us how it should change our lives. When we know God's fact about time, it actually should change everything. And I'm going to take a few moments at the end to have something that I hope you'll take home with you so that this week, as you live the time that God gives you, you live it in a way that actually honors God. So, so let's start with what I call God's fact about time. Verse 1, for everything... There is a season, and for every activity under heaven. Now, when you see that, when you hear that, do you grasp what God is saying here? I, I think I grasp a part of it, but he's at least saying this. Every part of this world is God's world, including every second of every day that you live. It, it's a reminder to us that there is nothing that happens in your life that catches God un unaware where he says, I didn't expect that to take place. <laughs> the eternal God who made the universe, everything that happens to you that seems confusing to you, it does not baffle him. That's what it's saying. He, say, he says that there is nothing that transpires in your life that is outside of his control. It even says this, there's not a thing that happens in your life, as random as it may seem to you, 
that is irrelevant to what he is doing in this world. God knows what he is doing. He has made time, and it tells us that there is a purpose for every activity and time under heaven. Now, as always in the book of Ecclesiastes, what Solomon is pointing us to think about is this. When we live life in this world under heaven, or sometimes he calls it under the sun, then we've got to stop and realize that, that there is a God who made the sun, who made everything that is, and he says he even made time. And there is a God who is control of our lives and of everything that happens in the world that promises us, verse 11, that when he's done, he makes everything beautiful in its time. Do you believe that? Like what? All right, that takes us to part two. I've called it God's poetic description about how you and I should experience time. Do you notice a time to do this and a time to do that? A time to do this and a time to do that. A time for this and a time for that. In these seven verses, runs between verse two and eight, are some of the most beautiful ancient poetry ever put together. In fact, I'll go beyond that. I think this is some of the most beautiful poetry ever written at any time and in any culture. I'm looking to see if anybody else is excited about this. I can almost hear you, nine o'clock service, I can almost hear you saying, oh, Pastor Greg, we Americans don't like poetry. I don't understand poetry. You know, I'm gonna think something right back at you. You need to get to like poetry. Why? Especially if you want to know God and, and, and understand his word. Do you realize that the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, is all poetry? It's not just the book of Psalms. It's also the book of Song of Solomon. It's the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is largely poetry. Books like Jeremiah and Isaiah, the prophets, they're almost all poetry as well. So if you're going to really understand God's word, you've got to see how he, he reveals himself and tells you how to live through, through poetry. God must love it. So if nothing else, I, I just pray that today I'll, I'll help you to appreciate and learn a little bit about how to read some of God's poetry. Uh, so a couple things I'll point out to you. Uh, in this text, do you notice the word time is used in verse 1? And then if you read uh, from verses 2 through 8, it's used 28 more times. That's 7 times 4. There's 14 pairs of two, that's seven times two. Do you know what the number seven means among the Jewish people? It's the word for perfection. On and on again, perfection. This is God's perfect poem about time. So here's what he wants you to see. That in this world and in your life, in which there's so much that is not perfect, God knows perfectly well what he is doing. And he is bringing about something that when he has done, it will be complete. It is whole. It will, he will accomplish perfection in time. Now, something else I want you to notice, that because you have these, these patterns of, of, of twos, there is a repetition in this that helps you to remember it, but it's also, I think, very beautiful. It, it gives, I don't know if you noticed as Elsie read, and I thought she read it so well, it's like the tick and talk of a clock. It's about time. So you almost feel this, a time for this and a time for that. Breathe, a time for this 
and a time for that. And, and what it really is saying, even in the way that God has inspired it to be put into the Bible, is this, that there are things in this world that seem so chaotic, but to God, he knows what he's doing. He's a God of order who is going to bring order into your life and into this world when you allow him to do his work. What else? You know, the most basic thing about reading any of the poetry you find in the Bible is something called parallelism. Did you notice how one phrase relates to the other? A time to be born and a time to die. A time for war and a time for peace. I'll tell you, um, you won't give me time <laughs> to say everything about this that I want to say to you about this. But I, what I want you to see is when you read this text or when you read any of the poems in the Bible, you just look at how one line relates to the other. And every time I read it, I see something new. It's like a fresh new encounter and experience as you see how this line relates to this and this part of the poem relates to that. What, what I love about reading a text like this is that every time I read it, it's as if I'm reading it for the very first time. It speaks to places in my life at this time that it didn't perhaps yesterday or when I was a child. So I put together for you what I, what I, the way I now see. I've been thinking about this all week. And, and I've written it here for you to see. So Ecclesiastes 2 through 8 is God's poem about what has happened to time since sin entered the world. The God who made the world and still rules over the world knows what happens in the times in our world, in his world. God knows there is death he knows there's weeping and mourning. He knows there is hatred. He knows there is war. But he says, I am here, and it's going to end in peace. This is all a part of time under the sun until the one who is over the sun has his kingdom reign. Now, now look at the end of, of verse 8. Do you see the last word that is in God's poem? It's the word peace. Everything in the rest of the poem is pushing in that. And you know, that's the Hebrew word shalom, One, this beautiful word that means when everything is right in your life. What he's saying is that God says, I know what has happened since sin entered the world. I know this world is imperfect, but I'm going to make it perfect. I, I know your life has times of loss, time of weeping, times of pain. I know that in your families and among loved ones there is even death, but I am still here. Those things are not going to thwart God's plans. He knows what he's doing. There is a time for every activity under the heavens, and he calls us to trust him until he makes all things right. Does this make sense to you? This powerful, powerful poem calling us to realize that God is there and he is at work right here. And that even the things that today you come and say, it makes no sense to me, God says, but I know what I'm doing. Actually, verse 2 sets the stage for, for you applying this to your life. It's, it says there was a time to be born. I, most of you, I think, probably were born, right? And there's going to be a time to die. And, and from that beginning and the rest of the poem, he, he tells us what happens in our lives, all sorts of things. There will be times for planting and then also times for reaping. There will be times where you've got to break things down. But then there are also times when you start again and build them up. There are times in this world for weeping. 
but thankfully there are some times for laughter too. There are times in our lives that we've got to hold on to things and not let them go. But I tell you, there are times in our lives where we have to take our hands off and open up that, that grip and let God take over when we don't want to let go. There's a time for us, he even says, that you and I should be speaking out and other times we should shut our mouths. <laughs> I hope this is for me one that I'm supposed to, to speak out. But as I see the poem, what it's calling us to do as people who know this God and love him is always to be asking almost every moment of our lives, what is your time for me right now, Lord? Uh, what would you have me to be doing right now? And I, and I pray that right now he would be saying, listen to my voice and my word. Ask me to speak to you today. Uh, I tell you, um, when you meditate upon this passage of God's word, I, I think you find it begins to speak to you each moment that you live. Let me just give you an example. So this, this is Memorial Day, right? Oh, the weekend, at least. We remember at this time the many people who in their times took a big risk, called by the government in the midst of times of war. They went and many gave their lives so that, and it made no sense, I'm sure, to their families when it happened, right? But here we are, 2016, able to worship openly and freely in the midst of this world. So many times there are things like killing and there are times of war. And as we look at them and if, if we think that there's no God who's in control and working things, doesn't it all often just seem so senseless? It, it does. And yet God says it's not purposeless. The, the, there is a reason, there is a time that killing takes place in my world. There's a time that war happens as senseless as they may be. They will not thwart my plan. I will continue to do my plan until shalom reigns. And he calls us in the midst of the challenging times of each of our lives to trust him. Do you? Do you? So, what's being said in this powerful poem is that God is in charge of every activity under heaven. He's working out a plan both in the good times that happen as we look at them and in the bad times that happen. And he wants you to know him. And in the midst of all of them, when you can't quite see what he's doing, now that you know the one who made all and is in control of all, he wants you to be able to live a life of faith in him, finding contentment in the midst of what otherwise would only rip you apart. That's what this is saying. Now, uh, I believe that. I'll, your pastor believes that. <laughs> but I tell you, there are times in my life when, when, when something happens that I still can't quite make sense of it. I, I'm unsettled by, by this message. I, I, sometimes there are times of mourning and pain that happen to some of you or in my own life that that just really hurt. And that I, I look at God and say, I can't understand why you would let that happen. Uh, you and I know, I think most of you know, that Chris and I lost our middle child. I've spoken to you about it so often. Uh, many of you have experienced that too, haven't you? When these premature deaths come, everything inside of us says that I can't make any sense. I can't make any sense out of that. And you, you come back to a passage like this and really to the entirety of Scripture, and God says, I am here, 
Uh, even death, which wasn't in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world, is not outside of my control and power. I can overcome. Do you think God can use death to bring about something good? Do you know the story of the cross? <laughs> Do you know what happened through, through a death? You and I get to, to be rescued and saved. So somehow we've got to come back and say, is God worthy of our trust? So they're going to be, I'll just tell you, you've got to hold on to this. But if you sometimes have questions, I don't quite see it, Lord. I, I tell you, all of us can, can, can relate to that. But what I see in all of this is a call to you and me to trust. There, there are so many times that I kind of feel like the disciples, you know, when he, Jesus was always telling parables. And sometimes in the midst of their confusion, they would say, oh, why do you always tell these stories? Just tell us what to do with it. Tell us how to live in the midst of all of this. And some, even in preparing this sermon for you today, I thought, well, sometimes we'd rather not have a poem. Just kind of tell us how to live and what we should do with this. And I'm thankful that actually God does that too. And that's verses 9 to 15. And I've called it, it's God's explanation. And I put it this way, of how we should be stewards in time. It really is how this fact that God is involved in every moment of time and with every activity under heaven, how that should change your life. So in verse 9, God's Word gives us the very question that people have always asked when a sermon like this is preached. Because if you think about it, okay, and I imagine many of you really are, when you think about this, if we believe that God uh, is controlling and governing every moment of time and every activity under heaven, like verse 1 says, then, then you begin to wonder, what difference does it make what I do? <laughs> What, what, how does he put it here in, in verse 9? My, my version puts it, what do we gain from all the work we do in this world? What difference does my life make if God is controlling everything anyway? Do you see what he's getting? Are we just, just sort of the objects of fate? Uh, is everything determined? Uh, if so, it doesn't matter how I live. It's going to happen anyway. So he, he poses that question himself. Uh, I love Ecclesiastes. He asks the questions that human beings have always asked. And the answer that he gives back is this. What you don't know about me, God says, is that I'm not bound by time the way that you are. I am a personal God. You are my, made in my image. So even though I do control every activity under heaven and promise that when I'm done, there's going to be a kingdom of peace which gives us hope, right? Because we do believe, you come to church and you believe that everything that happens, God can still offer you hope because he is going to bring about peace. So we hold on to that. But God says, but I also meaningfully interact with you in history. So that throughout the Bible, it tells us that the decisions that you and I make, they really matter. So that God calls us to believe in Jesus. And we can say, I don't believe. Jesus would call you to remain. Remember when he said that near the end of his life? Remain in me even when I'm on the cross. Abide, be faithful. And sometimes we feel like I don't want to be. He calls us to make choices to obey him. And on the other side, you and I know that we often make choices that are not there. And yet at the same time, God says, my plans in your life and in this world are not going to be thwarted. So God goes beyond what I can understand. That shouldn't surprise you. There are many things I don't understand. So if I don't understand everything about God, well, he'd be an awfully small God if I did. 
Anybody agree with me about that? The issue that we have to wrestle with, how do you and I live with a God like this in time and space? And, and, and there are just some profound things. I'm gonna to try to put them in the way I put them and see if you can grasp what I'm saying. In verses 10 and 11, he says something like this. Learn to live in your time, always with a reliance on the God who is not bound by time, but is nonetheless involved in time. I'm talking here about every day practicing God's presence. Learn to live in every moment of time in relationship to God, in reliance upon God, knowing that he is there, but he is the God who's not limited the way you and I are. He can do more than you and I could ever expect. Learn to do that because he is going to enter into your life. I'll show you how he puts it. I have seen the burden or the affliction that God has laid on the human race, and he's pointing back to Genesis 3 here, ever since sin entered the world. Uh, What he's really getting at is this, that in Genesis 2, before sin came into the world, people walked and talked with God. They had questions about what he was doing. They could ask him. But in Genesis 3, people walked away from God. And what's happened ever since that time is we don't have that same kind of... uh, physical relationship with God that they had in Genesis chapter 2, so we have to live by faith. And people who don't believe in God have never come alive to God. They, they don't know what he's doing. So he said, I know that burden that you have, but, but you're still made my image. So he goes on to say, on one side, he is making everything beautiful in its time. God's doing something. And on the other, he's put eternity in the human heart. Yet no human being under the sun without God can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. So do you see what he's saying? He is saying that as human beings, you and I have eternity in our hearts. Plants and animals don't. Uh, As far as I can tell, our dog doesn't really worry a whole lot about what's gonna happen tomorrow. You and I do. We're made in God's image. We, we think about the future, and sometimes things happen right now in our present that make no sense to us. We have eternity in our hearts. We know that there has to be more to live for in this world than just material things. And yet under the sun, since, since we've walked away from God, we don't have anybody to answer that question. In fact, when many of the things under the sun happen in our lives, it makes us reject that there's any kind of a God up there anyway. Why is he allowing all these things that's in the poem, this pain and mourning and death and war? Why, why is God letting this? So he says, as he puts there at the very end of verse 11, we can't understand what God is doing from beginning to end. What, what, what the Bible is pushing us toward is this. There has to be a God. We long inside of our beings for a God like God reveals himself to be in the Bible. A God who made all things. A God who still loves the world that he made. A God who's involved in these lives. A God that has a purpose for all that happens. We long for that to be true because we have eternity in our hearts. On our own, we can't fathom what he is doing. But we know there must be more to this than what we sense. Do you see what I'm saying here? Am I speaking clearly to you here? He's pointing us to the kind of God that Jesus says, I have come to make you alive to. John 1, the one through whom all things was made, entered into creation. And he is ready, John 1, 18, to make God known to you and me. And, and what Jesus says is when you believe in me, when you follow me. Do you remember the phrase that he uses, John three sixteen: We are born again. 
born again. I know many people in our world don't like that phrase. I love that phrase so much. It means that you and I, when we live under the sun, we're alive to one another. We have this biological material life, but somehow we sense there must be more to this. There must be an eternal world, a spiritual world. And when we believe in Jesus, we're made alive to the eternal God. The eternity that's in our hearts becomes an eternity that's in our experience. So when I say this to you, I, 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 I say, I long for you when you come to church to really know him through faith in Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus, this is where it begins. I pray that this would be the day. The thing that keeps you from knowing the eternal God is your own sin, walking away from him. But Jesus dealt with that on the cross. His death in time was in your place so that if you trust in him, he will forgive your sins and make you alive to the eternal God. Amen, amen. But then, what he calls us to do is to live day by day in relationship to the eternal God as our Father. What is that like? I'll tell you, I have so many stories. There are many times when you in time want to do something that you sense that the God to whom you've given your life and you come alive to doesn't want you to do. There are times you even sense this is what God would have you to do, but you don't want to do it. Am I the only one who ever feels like that? Uh, I thought of one experience. I could tell you a thousand. I wish I didn't have to admit this, but I can tell you so many times, but the one that came to my mind was back years ago. Uh, I, I was in Germany as a singer, you know, and uh, the team that I was a part of had been invited. We lived in Hamburg, northern Germany. We'd been invited to go to another city in northern Germany, Kiel, uh, where the churches were pretty dead. But we got an invitation to come there and do a concert. But I didn't want to go because I knew that those pastors up there in Kiel didn't want us to come. They, they didn't like the Evangelikaler, the, the evangelical group. Uh, they, they thought we were mindless people, just all, all experience, no minds at all. And they, they did not want us to come. But I also knew that there were some young adults, 20-something age adults, who had come alive to God through faith in Jesus and were pestering the lives out of these pastors to get us to come and do this concert. So they had just given in to them and invited us to come. And I said no to the head of the team. They don't want us there. And he said, yes, we're going to go. Well, the day of the concert came when we had to get in uh, to drive from Hamburg over to Kiel, and he called and said, I'm not going. They don't want us there. There aren't going to be any people anyway. I said, well, then I'm not going. No, you have to go. So I went with our pianist and our, our guitarist and, and the other music people, and uh, I was a grouch. I was just a grouch. I was complaining about this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. And they were always trying to pray, you know, God is in this. He'll do more than we can ever ask or imagine. And so we got there and started. And all I can tell you, and I've learned this over and over again in my life, that when there's something I know God wants me to do and I go ahead and do it, he does more than I could ever ask or imagine. I'll tell you, in the middle of that concert, more than perhaps any other time in my life, it was like the Spirit of God was outpoured upon that place. Many, many people came to faith in Jesus in that place, even one of the pastors. Uh, small groups and even one church were established in that place that continued to remain. 
I just want to tell you, this is a little bit of what it's like <laughs> to walk with an eternal God. Sometimes you see something like that happen. Sometimes you just obey him and you don't see it, and maybe until heaven, you'll, you won't see it until then. But this is what I so much long for us to learn to do, to live in your times where so many times you say, God, my life is yours, I'll give it to you today. He leads you in a way you hadn't anticipated. You follow it, and you see that God is there. That's what he's getting. God has put eternity in your hearts. If you leave God out of your life, you'll just say, I don't make, can't make any sense out of it. But when you trust him, so often you begin to see, yes, God is worthy of trust, enough that I will give my life to him until his work is done in me and in this world and until shalom reigns. It's the first thing I want you to do, to learn to trust him until he's completed his work. Now, now the second part is in the midst of this, uh, to learn to be content even to find joy in all of your times. Look at verses 12 to 14. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live in our times, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their activities and all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. So, do you see what the Bible is saying here? That in every time that happens, the good as well as the bad, the easy as well as the hard, there is a potential for happiness, verse 12, and there's a potential for satisfaction, verse 13. If we learn to trust God in the midst of them and to find contentment in that faith. This is what the Apostle Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4. He said that we can have joy at all times. Remember, he said it over and over again. Do you know where he was when he wrote that letter? Philippians 4? He was sitting in a prison. <laughs> and he says, you can have joy. And then he says, I have learned how to be content at all times. Writing it out of a prison because I've learned that you can do all things in Christ, the one who gives you strength. And that's really the point that Solomon is making here in these times when we know that there is a purpose for every activity in our times, that we can find happiness and even contentment in the midst of it when we know God, know that he loves us more than we could love ourselves, know that there's nothing that happens to you, to your family, to your work, to anything, nothing that happens that is greater than he is. And sometimes he says, wait until you see the end. And as this great poem says, it will end in peace. One of the phrases that really jumped out at me as I did this is that there is a time to hold on and a time to let go. You know, it's graduation time. That means that changes happen in individual lives and families as people come to a different stage in life. I was thinking about with Chris and me. When, when Heather, our, our first daughter, went to kindergarten, that was really hard for Chris. <laughs> Mothers, anybody else feel that? Uh, that? That relationship with my little girl will never be the same. Chris sort of wanted to hold on to, to that. And as she so many times reminded me, then that same little girl went off to college and then got married, and it was harder for dad then. 
So many times Chris would say to me, what, do you just want her to stick around here? I mean, just try to envision her 30 years from now, still at home the way it's always been. That would be a horrible thought for her and for us. <laughs> See, there are times to hold on and there are times to let go. And when we learn to trust God in the midst of them, he makes everything beautiful in its time. I think this has something to say to us in every transition period in our lives. For those of you who are changing jobs, for those of you who are losing jobs, for those of you who are retiring. Just 10 days ago, I was back in Wheaton, Illinois, just outside Chicago. I'm a trustee on the, at the college, at Wheaton College there. And we celebrated the accomplishments of two of the people who had served for decades Wheaton College so well. And the president, President Riken, said so poignantly, I wrote it down. I don't know if I got it as well as he said it. But he said to, to these two men, all seasons are in the hands of God. There is a time to take up and a time to let go, a time to begin and a time to end. All those times can be beautiful when we know God is in control, for we know that he makes all things beautiful in its time. So there's my message to you. The God we have come to worship today is in charge of everything, birth and death, laughing and weeping, war and peace, Nothing happens under the sun without it being a part of his purposes. That's what Solomon discovered. That's what the Bible confirms on every page. And that means that you and I can trust him. It means you, you can trust that he'll do what he said he'll do. He'll forgive your sins even sometimes when you still feel guilty or shame about it. Yet you can trust that God is with you each moment of your life, even when you feel alone. You can trust that he will do great things in the lives of your children, even if sometimes you've messed up. Best of all, you can trust him to bring about peace in your lives and in his world, even to come again to make all things right. Even if our world mocks at that, or says that he isn't there and says he won't do it, for he will. So I'll leave you just with these thoughts from this great passage. Let God's word sink into your soul. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. God makes everything beautiful in its time. And whatever God does, lasts forever, and it will reveal his glory. Amen. Amen. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Our Father, if this word is true, and I believe it is, then you are here at this time in our lives than for each one here in our worship center. This is a time you have appointed us to be here. There is something you want to do in each of our lives today. And I know one of those things is, is to trust you more, 
Father, I pray for those who perhaps have sensed that there is eternity in their hearts. They've been made for more but have never really known you personally as their God through faith in Jesus. I pray today, Father, that you would draw them to yourself to, to a point of realizing that what keeps us from you is our own sin, but that you love us and are ready to forgive our pasts and to start again with us. Father, I pray that some even now might pray something like, here is my sin. Do you really want it? Forgive me. And hear you say, I will remember your sin no more. Father, I pray that will happen and that they will go on to say, here's my life. My faith is in Jesus. I will follow Jesus. Father, I pray that you would break into their lives. Let them know you are real and that you are here, that they can know you as Father. Then for many of us here, Father, you, you know in these times under the sun, we still have to live by faith. We don't yet see you. Sometimes our faith is so weak. Father, I pray that each one of us in this time, in this moment, might have a fresh meeting with you, a fresh encounter with you, sending us from this place ready to trust you whatever happens this week, knowing that you are greater than any situation, any circumstance, any problem that we might face. Father, do your work in our hearts and lives. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.